Namaste, friends. You are listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of social impact leaders and innovators across diverse sectors in India. This podcast is brought to you by Cause Artist, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, social entrepreneur and director of Hotter World. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. Each episode, we're exploring the challenges, successes, and opportunities within social innovation in India and helping you become a more conscious consumer in the process. So without further ado, let's jump into our episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Impact India. Today, I'm interviewing Manik Thapur. He is one of the pioneers of waste management in India and is known for his unique business model at EcoWise. Uh, Manik is a Canadian citizen with Indian origin. Uh, he actually moved to India in 2005 after studying and was inspired by the idea of setting up a waste management company here, which came from a school project. So at 23, he decided to enter this extremely challenging industry despite all the many uh, difficulties and opposition from family and friends. So uh, his efforts have been quickly recognized across the country and beyond um, and has become quite the u- true youth icon. Um, EcoWise is collecting, segregating, um, treating and disposing around 120 tons of waste on a daily basis um, through composting and recycling methods. Last year, his company managed to divert 35,000 tons of waste from ending up in the, in the landfill. Monik, I humbly dub you the trash king. Thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you for having me on board. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I guess I have to start off with like, waste management is such a massive challenge to tackle, especially in India. What is your why for coming back to India to do this? Well, the, see, I grew up in India to a great extent, even though I'm a Canadian. My mother had moved to Canada at a very young age. Um, so when I moved abroad, um, especially um, uh, when I started working, uh, when I started studying in Canada and then later on moved to the U.S. to do my grad study, I had, you know, people coming from India, the, the one thing that they used to say is that, you know, look at, look at America, look at Canada, how beautiful it is, and look at our country, how dirty it is. Everybody who used to come used to have this one open complaint about uh, bureaucracy, corruption, and filth. Mm. Um, so I decided there's not really much I can do about bureaucracy and corruption at that age, <laughs> but I can do something about... Uh, uh, cleaning up the country in terms of managing the waste. So we, in our last year of our grad school, did a, a business plan, which I decided to then take uh, and bring to India and establish. And so that's how the whole idea came about. And after I finished my grad school, I moved right back and, and started this company, EcoWise. Incredible. And I'm assuming, you know, starting a project like this in the U.S. and then bringing it to India, there's probably some initial challenges in kind of transferring that concept to a completely different context. What did what did that transition look like for you? Well, um, you know, when you think about something on paper and at that young of an age, you have this sort of a euphoric <laughs> view of the world, yes. the public is going to function, uh, unfortunately. Um, it, it was uh, it was a real shock uh, when I did move back because you know it's not it was not what I had expected it to be in terms of um, 
how the waste management sector in India worked. Um, it was completely, and it still to this day remains completely unorganized. Um, you know, there was um, it was all being managed by the unorganized sector. Um, there were certain elements of, or a big element of the mafia involved in it. There was a big element of um, of um, political corruption that was involved in it. Um, and my whole idea was to come back to India and start a waste-to-energy plant, which fell apart very quickly when I realized that, you know, the waste in India does not have the kind of horrific value, and I'm talking 12, 13 years ago, um, to generate electricity. Um, so we decided that, you know, at that point, I decided that, listen, I need to start from the grassroots, um, uh, start tackling the grassroots challenges, which were, and which remain to be collection and segregation of waste. And that's how we started. We started off with a residential society of around 2,000 houses in the town of Noida. Um, and we started collecting um, waste from around 2,000 houses on a daily basis. And it was it was all done on cycle rickshaws. People used to collect oh, wow. the waste. My employees, they used to segregate it, remove all the recyclables. They used to sell the recyclables and then convert all the organic waste into compost. So we changed the complete model of um, operating um, and that's how the journey started incredible and um I, you know for for listeners who are not based in india and don't really understand the context of 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 how to handle waste here um can, do you mind diving a little bit more about uh like the corruption and like the mafia side like how does that really play into the waste management um I think globally, um, and, and even in America, uh, waste has been uh, something that has been the waste and parking lots, all right? These are two areas, uh, and casinos, of course, earlier, but waste and parking lot have been two areas that have been dominated by the presence of mafia, even in America, um, in parts of Europe, and, and in India. The reason behind that, and I'll talk from an Indian context, is that um, one, it is an unorganized sector over here, so a lot of the dealings happen in cash. So it's a very, very, very um, uh, lucrative way for small-time uh, mafia hoodlums to to manage money and get money. Um, scrap, which is all your recyclables, are sold in the market. So this becomes. So what they do is they control sections or parts of the city. And they ensure that only their people can do the collection from those parts of the city, and then they charge a fee from these people to ensure that they do the collection from that part of the city. So mafia um, uh, presence in, in waste management is massive, and now it has been corporate. Uh, you know, it's, it's become corporate mafia, um, mm. and <laughs> none of that happens without any political. <laughs> none of that happens without any political uh, backing. You know, without political backing, none of that will happen. Um, so. Mafia is a huge uh, issue that we, till date, till this date, are tackling. Of course, the the way they operate has changed, uh, but they do remain a massive player in it. Interesting. So, what exactly are you guys so, able to control in in tackling that? So, I'll give you uh, just quickly give you a context. So, in 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 so since a lot of your listeners are based out of the states. Um, and, you know, in, in America, what the mafia used to do uh, in terms of why they did get into waste management was very simple. It became very easy for them to move 
डेड बॉडीज फ्रॉम प्लेस ए टू प्लेस बी एंड टू डिस्पोज दम ऑफ इन टू लैंड फिल साइड यू नो नो बड़ी वुड स्टॉप अ गार्बेज ट्रक इन चेक इट टू सी वॉट्स इन इट सो दैट वॉज अ प्राइमरी रीजन फॉर द माफिया टू गेट इन टू वेस्ट मैनेजमेंट रूट बिकॉज दे कुड कंट्रोल द मूवमेंट ऑफ एल्कोहल द मूवमेंट ऑफ नार्कोटिक्स एंड द मूवमेंट ऑफ अफकोर्स डेड बॉडीज एंड द फाइनल डिस्पोजल ऑफ दैट इन टू Um, into the landfill, along with it being a very lucrative business to be in, um, and the same happens here now in terms of the corporate um, mafia that has come in. Um, you know, it's all based on a tipping fee model where what they collect um, in terms of weightage is what they get paid on. So it's just the tipping fee they collect, they dump, and they get paid on it, uh, which is a very lucrative sort of a business model for a lot of these um, uh, corporates who have now got into this business. Damn, so fascinating, but also terrifying. <laughs> I hope this doesn't yes. put you in danger at any point in your life. <laughs> uh, no, I mean you. You know, when I first did move, uh, uh, move back. You know, you move back with this maverick mentality that you can deal with anything and everyone. Mm. But you, um, uh, you very, very uh, quickly learn and get grounded. Um, uh, you know and. and start confronting the realities and start learning how to deal with the realities um of this kind of operating system um where everything is unorganized and under the table uh, so yes it was a, it, it it has been a it has been a massive learning experience um for me also and for all my employees and for my company also as to how to deal with different um, types of individuals how to deal with uh, you can see in uh, to be very honest there are different types of mafia there's the corporate mafia and there's the political mafia and then of course there mm. is the local um, uh, private mafia um, oh yeah and you have to deal with them all in a different manner right um, and just, and it's not based just on violence it's based on um, on political intimidation it's based right. on a host whole host of other things Oh my goodness, that's like a whole other world to tackle. I, I, I'm so curious. Then, like, if that's already this like overarching challenge, you know, what have you found to be like more unique challenges while expanding across India? Because I, I know you started in Delhi, but now you're operating in quite a few cities. What does that expansion look like? And what are maybe yeah. some of the unique challenges in regards to maybe like mindset, stigma, um, you know, different, all these different like stakeholders being a part of the process? Um, see the biggest. the biggest uh, challenge that um, i have found is that we still in 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 india to a great extent um have had a feudal sort of a mindset where uh, if you look at in in homes per se um you know once kids finish eating on the table they don't unlike abroad they don't go and clean their plates out into the dustbin right they have their either their mothers to pick it up and take it away for them or they have their house help to pick it up and take it away for them right. so for them waste um is something that is dirty even though that food they just eaten now once they finish is now dirty they can't touch it right so there's that stigma of caste associated with uh waste management in india that this this has to be done by somebody who is um from a certain part of society so that very very stigma that is still attached um, across the board especially um in in um, in uh, metro cities um 
so that becomes a huge problem to try and um, uh, try and tackle because you you know segregation is a huge issue in india right. so when you tell people to segregate their waste that is one thing that happens because most people don't segregate their waste at home it's a household that segregates it so who live in the house but you also have to teach the a house self to segregate and house self changes every 3 to 4 months um so it becomes a constant process of doing this so that is one major issue is that mindset and stigma attached to waste which is slowly changing now um but it 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 will still take a lot of time the other thing that i would talk about is policy of course and, and the, the policies that we have around now managing waste and waste management um, uh, for say in india are um, nothing to write home about because they don't um, they're very vague in a in a way and they also don't really tackle the grassroots issues of what needs to happen uh, what needs to happen in order for the country to become clean um they also curtail competition they also curtail uh, ensure that monopolization and cartelization of uh, the waste sector takes place at a rapid pace and smes and the unorganized sector are kept out of it even though they are doing most of the work so that's another huge issue uh, and a challenge um and the surprising part is that in india even though the prime minister has done wonders in terms of his swatch bharat abhiyan the there is the government has not given waste management industry status so interesting sector as a whole doesn't have yeah it doesn't have industry status so it becomes very very hard for companies like us to on other coming on uh, into the field to raise funding or financing for smes but this multiplies uh, the challenge uh, twofold um, 100% so so these are some of the major challenges in terms of you know expansion um, along with uh, local uh, mafia related uh, issues in collection of waste which are becoming more and more prominent um, as the <laughs> as the month go by <laughs> well i mean outside of of swatch bharat like is there anything specifically happening from a political level in in terms of implementing any type of policy to help this become a more efficient process or you know is is do you, do you find that it's just not something that's really being talked about as much as it should be because swatch bharat is kind of at the face of everything to do with waste management and sanitation and i guess on top of that how do you feel about swatch bharat and its impact today see swatch in in terms of policy um they have a whole host of policy documents out but the point is that they are not conducive to promoting competition and they are not conducive to um ensuring that the right things happen the current policy is promoting monopolization and cartelization of waste and how that is happening is that they are only worried about large projects and large figures the government um so they give out a tender to of a city to the entire um, uh, of the entire city to one company now that company in turn um is responsible for collecting waste from all industries from all households and from all um, commercial establishments you can understand the scope and scale of work um and this is a failed model across the country but the government continues to keep doing this uh, it's a tipping fee model where you collect the waste and you dump it right and you get paid a tipping fee so in it incentivizes the concessionary to actually collect 
as much waste and dump as much of it into the landfill because they get paid on a per kg basis. Um, and that becomes a huge challenge because what happens is in, in a lot of places, um, for example, if you look at the city of Noida, uh, which is in Uttar Pradesh, the city claims that it generates 600 tons of waste every day. But the billing that the confectionery is doing is for, uh, for, is for 1,100 tons. Where is that 500 extra tons coming from? Mm. Right? So, so that is one major issue. The other challenge is that most of the collection from door to door or from residential, commercial, and uh, uh, industrial establishments is still happening by the, is, is still taking place by the unorganized sector. So these concessionaries are not doing any of that collection. That collection is still happening by uh, small SMEs and small, uh, small time players. Um, these concession, when the work should actually be done by these concessionaries, these concessionaries are only collecting from roadside dumps and going and dumping it on the side of the road uh, 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 in uh, so-called dump sites that are provided by the government. Right. So as a result, what is happening is they monopolize and cartelize the waste. They're pushing out smaller players. They're killing competition. Uh, customers and clients don't have options to go um, and uh, get services from other companies. Um, if they are not satisfied with uh, the services of the concessionary, which you could read online on Google and everywhere else, um, is a massive issue because these yeah. concessionaries are not being able to manage the waste uh, um, uh, waste of the city. So, from a policy perspective, it is very vague because the policy states that you know SMEs and radicals and the unorganized sector should be accepted and they should be promoted but when you go to the government and you are a local authority or a local municipality and tell them that listen i am not charging the government a single penny i'm paying my taxes i will do the collection i will charge the waste generator money and in fact i will pay you a reverse tipping fee instead of you paying me a fee i will pay you a fee for dumping at your landfill they don't want to listen to you they don't want to listen to you and they don't most of them um because of bureaucracy and red tapism, um, you know, there is just very little movement on innovative models like ours. Right. Um, and the reason is for anybody to guess, um, it's, it's, it's in black and white over there, uh, you know, what gets paid out um, <laughs> is anybody's uh, uh, guess, you know, about why this system is still prevailing and why they don't want to change. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I don't think I realized that it was mostly small players that were, were taking an initiative um, to, to help with, with um, like pickup and, and um, dumping. And I'm, I'm curious, like, I guess, I guess I need to understand also what your process looks like because this is so complicated because I've also heard so many stories where it's kind of like everyone's blaming each other for like their responsibility. Like, you know, uh, households are like, well, it's, you know, the, the collector's job to sort it. And the collector's like, no, it's actually your job to sort it. You know, how are you, you know, when you go into these households, like, first of all, how are you dealing with like residential areas? How do you get into them? Who's kind of like your contact to, to start that? And, you know, who, who do you think is responsible? Um, and like, and how are you maybe using that information to showcase like 
you know, what does need to happen in terms of, uh, in, in terms of implementing policy so that people are aware of what's going on. Because I feel like the biggest issue right now is people are just so unaware of what needs to happen. So everyone's just blaming each other. So I'm curious to how your process works and how you might be using that to try and implement an actual solution to this huge problem. Um, see, in terms of who is responsible, it's the waste generator who is responsible. Mm. Plain and simple, right? Mm -hmm. But it has to be a collective effort. The government is equally, if not more, responsible for providing infrastructure and for mm. putting in place business-friendly policies. The collection agencies are equally responsible for ensuring that the waste that they collect is segregated and processed in in a proper manner, all right? Um, what is happening is a lot of households like in America um, who were segregating or who continue to segregate and were being informed that, you know, you're doing a great job, you're segregating and they're processing all of your waste. Um, in the last one year, realized that they were being lied to because most of their waste was being shipped to countries like China, Indonesia, yeah. Malaysia, and India, <laughs> uh, plastic, right? Um, yeah. So... <laughs> Such is the case. Uh, such is the case here in India too. What happens is once a household segregates and the waste collector comes to collect it, he mixes everything anyways. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't have in India collection, dry waste collection and wet waste collection don't happen separately. They happen together, right? And again, because unorganized, uh, the rickshaw they come on a paddle rickshaw most of the people to come and collect waste. So that becomes a massive um, um, a sort of issue for a lot of households to tackle. Um, in terms of commercial and industrial waste, a lot of the commercial and industrial waste, um, there is, and I'll talk from a, in, uh, from a global perspective and operating across the globe, have full systems of operating. They operate some way in America and Europe, and then they come to India and they change the way of operations especially in relations to, uh, relation to waste. Um, a lot of them are unwilling to pay a fee. A lot of them don't segregate their waste. A lot of them um, really don't care about forced uh, as stringently as they should be. Plus, there is also a lack uh, since the government, since the, the ecosphere of waste management in India is mostly unorganized, there is also a lack of companies providing the kind of service uh, that these organizations our model charges the user a fee if it's if it's individual if it if they are uh, if it's society then we charge them a fee based on per house and if it is a uh, industrial unit then we charge them a fee based on the number of trips that we need to do and the quantum of waste that we get in. Along with that, what we have also done is we um, I personally. Um, speaking to a lot of friends and reading a lot of found that, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, we don't know what to do with our waste. There is nobody who comes and collects it. What do I do with my recyclables? How do I know what's really getting recycled? I was reading a lot of this. So I thought, you know, why not start a collection drive across Delhi NCR initially, which is Delhi NCR uh, is Delhi and all the satellite towns around Delhi. Um, to offer these people who are um, complaining on social media to um, uh, an option to actually give their recyclables in an ethical manner, in a sustainable manner, so that they can, as they actually know, uh, through a transparent uh, model that is then traceable 
of what is happening to the recyclable waste. So we started this campaign called Give Me Your Plastic Challenge, where mm -hmm. um, every month our truck goes around the city, multiple trucks go around the city, and we collect segregated plastic and packaging waste Me. from households. Um, and to my surprise, it was fascinating to see, one, that a lot of people who were complaining about it never joined the program. Right? So there was a lot of complaining, but people are not people were not willing to take a step forward or act Damn. in terms of actually segregating and cleaning their uh, cleaning their uh, their waste. But the other surprising fact was that the people who did enroll and who are enrolled as of today are doing a fantastic job and people are actually not only segregating but they're also washing the containers and oh, giving amazing. it to us. Um, so that made me realize that yes, people are willing to put in the effort to do it if a proper option is provided to them. Yeah, it so sounds like was, we have uh, to is, make it super convenient for them in order for them to actually move forward as that's well. That's right. It's not only uh, not only uh, it's not only about convenience. It's also um, about how much convenience do you want to give up in order mm -hmm. for you to do the right thing, right? right? Because what happens in order for anybody to do anything, you have to give up something. Are you willing to give up that convenience of just mixing your garbage and giving it to somebody? Um, are you willing to put in that extra effort to segregate it? Um, and we found that, yes, people are willing to do that. So it is a good thing. The other thing that we have started ourselves is um, we, have, we are now uh, making uh, clothing out of plastic. So all of your pet bottles, yeah. uh, mineral water bottles and soda bottles, um, we are pre-processing it and then getting it converted into yarn and then clothing and then uh, manufacturing um, clothing out of it. And the, the best part of this is that we are giving return prepaid envelopes to all of our um, clients uh, or customers who are buying this product who can then put all of the packaging waste back in that envelope and ship it back to our facility. So it gets recycled. One oh, and second, um, at the end of life, when the product gets torn or if it gets oh, something goes something goes wrong with the product, they, they send it back to us again, and then we again um, convert that particular polyester product into carpets. Okay. So we are ensuring that from 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 our point of view, we are ensuring that that bottle mineral water bottle seven or eight mineral water bottles that take to manufacture one t-shirt remain out of the landfill or remain out um, 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 into the market for at least a good four and a half to five years. So these are some of the initiatives that we are ourselves taking along with, of course, um, what you have read online of fighting and, and pushing the government to change policies so that, you know, um, uh, a free market enterprise is promoted in a country like India, because that's the only way that we can actually start cleaning up the way, uh, this, this waste, and that's the only way that we can start lifting people out of poverty at the bottom of the pyramid, um, who are kept there uh, purposely, in my opinion. Mm. Yes, I, I'm hearing a few kind of like key takeaways here that I think I should just restate for the listeners, because this has been... This is so fascinating and exciting because innovation in waste management has to come to the forefront in order for us to really tackle this challenge. So I'm hearing that you're, you are able to upcycle um, like PT 
um, products into uh, fabrics, which is incredible. And I know that's something that's really growing across the so, fashion industry. Um, Jasmine, I ahead? just want to interfere one minute over there. So none of this is, this is not actually, and I want to be very honest here, it is yeah. not upcycling, this is actually downcycling. Um, because upcycling would be if I take PET and then convert that into polyethylene again and make new PET bottles out of it, or if I take polyester carpets which are made out of PET and then convert it back into polyethylene. This is still downcycling, all right? Because um, because we don't have the technology available right now globally, they're still working on something called chemical recycling. Um, mm -hmm. And they're still coming out with options of how you can do this. But this is the next best option because we are delaying the process. We are reusing that particular product for a prolonged period of time for four, four and a half years. So all of that you see that is happening globally in terms of plastic, a lot of it is downcycling. It is not recycling. Because recycling would mean product to product, right? So bottle to bottle would be recycling. If you take one bottle, pet bottle, and you convert it into pet bottle again, that is then used for consumption or um, um, or, or that, that is then used for packaging of um, uh, bottled water or soda, that is recycling. But what's been happening right pet in India and globally, most of it is getting converted into fiber. Mm. Right? And that that is being used to manufacture polyester and clothing. So that's downcycling because after the end of life is reached from that clothing, it has nothing, it has no, there's no option for it. It has to go into the landfill. What we have done is we have provided an option for it. We will take that back and we will convert it into carpets and elongate the life till such time as new processes are being developed and new innovations are coming out to upcycle it back into polyethylene so that you can then again create pet from it. Which is in the process and we are hoping in another year or two it's going to be commercialized and it's going to happen. It started to happen quite a bit in the European Union now. Yeah, thank you. I actually appreciate you um, correcting me. I'm, I, I did say upcycling though, so I'm curious to what would be the, the difference between upcycling and downcycling because I feel like uh, this is something that we talk about quite often on this podcast is um, like these buzzwords that don't really fully have a defined definition for um, a lot of people throughout the industry. So what would be the difference between like upcycling and downcycling? How would you as an expert describe uh, the difference? So um, it, it's, it, it is very simple. Anything that is not converted back into its original form is downcycling. Okay. All right. So if you take a pet bottle and if you don't manufacture another pet bottle out of it and you manufacture something else that is of lower quality like fiber that is then converted into polyester yarn which cannot be recycled as of today that is downcycling. Upcycling would be if I converted pet I'm just taking pet as an example so that mm -hmm. we are consistent in our understanding of the product. Um, if you take pet and you convert that into let's say uh, uh, polyester um, clothing, and then you take that polyester clothing and you convert it back into polyethylene, which is basically the the building blocks of PET. Mm -hmm. All right, that is upcycling because then from that you can again manufacture PET, or you can manufacture HDP, or you can manufacture whatever you want to manufacture. All right, got it. Upcycling Thank you. Taking, <laughs> take, yeah. All right. <laughs> 
No, sorry, you can keep going, but I'm just, I'm happy to have someone also explain this because something that's really um, unfortunate about, you know, working in the industry, especially when it, like, when it comes to anything about recycling and waste management, uh, the education is very inaccessible. Um, so having someone really be able to explain each part of this process and, and what each part looks like and how you can contribute to it um, is really, really powerful. Um, like, if there's anything else you wanted to add, sorry, to the upcycling part, please, please go on. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, so, 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 see, plastic per se has been made to look like the bad guy <laughs> globally right now. And yes, that is not the fault of, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's not the fault of plastic. It's yeah. not that the plastic yeah. decided to take a swim in the ocean or said, oh, I love swimming in the ocean. Uh, you know, so it's, it, it is our habit and it is a lack of infrastructure. And more importantly, something that you should really, really touch on um, is there is the responsibility of the brands who are putting mm -hmm. this out into the market, right? What are they doing to fight this? Well, I, from so my from my understanding, look at. oh, sorry. Um, I was going to say, just from no, my understanding, ahead. it sounds like, it seems like over the last like 20 years or so, the plastics industry has also been the backer of so many recycling campaigns as a way to like teach consumers to recycle but you know to secretly still be pumping out plastic products so although it is the consumer's responsibility to take the initiative where do you think plastic manufacturers play a role in changing the status quo well the biggest uh, challenge that that um, I foresee in this is that production of plastic is not reducing, it's actually increasing, mm -hmm. right? And, and and the onus is being, by, by these large brand manufacturers, is being put on, um, on the consumer um, to segregate the waste so that in the end it may be recycled, but that is not what is happening. It is not getting recycled as I earlier mentioned uh, to you, it is getting downcycled, which means that the production will continue to happen at an expedited pace to keep up with the consumer's demand. So what is actually required is not only um, um, investment in terms of infrastructure to recycle this from the brands, but also how does the collection happen in most, uh, and how does the recovery of this, um, uh, of this waste happen? As you know, uh, now, uh, through various reports in uh, in various leading newspapers, that the West has been shipping most, if not all, of its plastic to Asian countries, uh, China, India, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, where these countries themselves don't have the infrastructure, are burdened themselves with their own um, uh, vast amounts of plastic waste being generated or other waste being generated uh, in their own countries. And now they have this influx of other cheap plastic that is coming into the country, um, which they have to now deal with. And they don't have the infrastructure. So why the brands need to take a, a very, very, um, I would say, an approach, a lead in this by setting up systems like a DRS system, deposit return schemes. Why are they not being implemented? It's an easy way um, for brands to incentivize customers to bring their uh, packaging back. So that needs to be done in a proper manner. Uh, EPR, extended producer responsibility, a lot of it is just being done on paper 
Um, but in actuality, none of that is happening. Um, so there are um, a lot of, um, there's a lot of greenwashing per se that is happening. And when you talk uh, brands uh, and NGOs, brands are basically funding NGOs and it's not only happening in America. So Keep America Beautiful is one of those NGOs that are, that, that are being funded by large brands like Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Um, but we all know what Keep America Beautiful does. It's just a mouthpiece for these brands um, to uh, to keep changing the cons- uh, consumer's perception and putting the uh, uh, onus onto the consumer um, while the brands and uh, large petrochemical companies continue to spew out uh, more and more plastic. So there has to be a concerted, uh, concerted effort where all stakeholders the biggest out of them are, of course, governments and um, brands come together and set up proper infrastructure for this. They set up proper infrastructure to collect it, to recover and recycle it. Uh, consumers will only be able to do a certain part of it. Consumers will only buy what is being sold and marketed to them, right? If you sell and market products that cannot be recycled in perpetuity, product to product recycling, then it's not the consumer's fault. Okay, so I'm feeling so challenged because I'm like, you know, how do we stand up and make a difference in in plastic manufacturing? Like, it's it's so. I mean, we've already talked a bit about the mindset. Like, it's so difficult to kind of penetrate that to make a shift. What do you think is, you know, the most powerful thing that we can do right now to to at least shift the consumer mindset so that we are, you know, not just segregating and disposing of our waste properly, but also minimizing the waste that we're producing? See, I personally feel the consumer mindset is already changing. All right. Consumer is demanding that now of brands. But the challenges are brands and manufacturers really delivering on what the consumer wants and the answer to that is no mm-hmm. brands and and <laughs> brands and and manufacturers are not delivering on it what they are doing is they are playing a game of um um in in other words uh, of perception to try to change the perception of the consumer that the brands are actually doing the right thing so and I do a lot of um, writing work and I do a lot of posts on LinkedIn and other places. And I always mention this, that the best thing that consumers can do from their end is voice their opinion and also vote with their wallets, right? Mm -hmm. But how much of that can you do? Why did a company like Coca-Cola in the 1960s and 70s move away from uh, glass bottles to plastic? Right? When glass bottles is is a very very good alternative, they just you you send them, they get cleaned, use them, they get cleaned, and then you fill your product out and you send them out to the market. It's all about economics. These companies are thinking quarter to quarter, right? They need to deliver results to their shareholders on a quarter to quarter basis. So that's short term mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. In order for us to move ahead and change. Um, what is happening, we need to have a long-term perspective to this. Long-term perspective will only happen with long-term thinking and not a quarter-to-quarter thinking. But that said, 
uh, sustainability and the environment is uh, these two topics are becoming hot topics and they are going to really 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 um, start pushing uh, a lot of companies to start doing the right thing because their profit margins and their their internal sustainability is going to be based on the perception that the consumer sees of what they're actually doing and what they're not doing. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And, and you seem to be quite a leader for um, like speaking out, trying to call out people for anything that's going wrong. And you also do it in a very accessible um, manner where you're not just like calling people out uh, for, you know, being a jerk. Um, so well, the most recent thing I really liked was um, your open letter to uh, Modi on your Instagram. And I'm curious, do you ever get any response to like these open addressed letters or, you know, do you ever get any kind of um, conversation flowing when you do use your voice on, on social media platforms? Um, so I, the reason, and, and I'm going to, I'm, we've done this and I've done this for selfish reasons also. And I'm going to be very honest because, um, <laughs> you know, it is not something, uh, uh, you know, I'm running a business. And I'm running, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm partaking in an activity which is crucial to ensure that um, the environment is clean, but not only that, but from a public health uh, and safety uh, point of view, it is very, very crucial that garbage gets collected and it gets processed and treated properly. Um, and, and our policies in our country and the way we function in, in here in India was not is not allowing me to do that is not allowing me to be innovative so i decided that our new prime minister in the year 2014 when he came to power he came out with the swachh bharat abhiyan and there was a lot of you know i had a lot of hope that a lot of things are going to change um there was a lot of education and everything that was done but none of it was being percolated down um so that we in our business could start seeing the positive effects of all of that so I decided to start writing to him about the kind of policy changes that are required. We have written over 200 letters uh, uh-huh. to the Prime Minister, uh, yeah, out of which we've got replies to some, but they're not replies per se. They are just, um, what they are is that they, they get the letter and then they pass it down to another a, a department and that department has to now address that certain issue. And that issue has not been addressed at all. Um, I've gone to plenty of departmental meetings. I've gone and met a lot of them. Um, but there is no movement um, on any of these uh, topics per se. Um, so the reason I call out a lot, of, uh, a lot of people is because it is not happening in our country. We need... Um, you know, I, and I'm not trying to... Um, what, what we are trying to do is not trying to tarnish anybody's image. All we are saying is that, listen, there is another way of doing things and still be profitable for, from a company, from a corporate perspective. Corporates can still do the right thing and be profitable and even be more profitable because the customer will realize that, listen, yes, these guys are doing the right thing rather than just uh, putting out statements and papers, uh, making tall claims, and then... Um, uh, really, when you go in depth and look at what is happening, 
um, what they're claiming is really not happening. From a government perspective, the reason we are so vocal with the government is again because of this, because nobody is speaking up on this particular topic in this sector. Um, you know, everybody is a yes man and you can't get things working if everybody is a yes man. Um, so that's why I'm vocal. But my point is not to take up a fight with people. My point is to um, put my views across and hopefully somebody listens to them, grabs on to them and says, yeah, let's give this a shot so that things can change for the better. Well, thank you for taking the lead on that because I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for, for the average Joe to just be, you know, making sure that their voice is heard and, and finding the right channels to do so. So I think this is a really powerful note to kind of end off on is that um, it's obvious that if we do continue to use our voice, we can make some type of change, but we definitely need to be consistent. We need to be patient and we need to continue kind of leading our own revolutions um, from the ground up. <laughs> So um, that's right. And I think two, two, two major things I just want to jump into yeah, yeah. quickly and just say that one of two, two, two of the most major things is, is overcoming fear and judgment in anything that you do. Uh, because the reason why people don't partake or move ahead in certain ideas that they might have in their mind is because of the judgment of others and the fear of what others will think or fear of failure or fear of repercussion from authorities and I think um, once you get past that initial stage um, of fear and judgment um, then things get a lot clearer to you and, and you can deliver your uh, messages and get results um, I mean I won't say in a, in a, in a quick manner but in a, uh, in a manner where yes something will move and something will happen if you start doing that 100% Monik thank you so much for, for spending well i guess spending the last two days talking to me because of our internet issues i apologize um but nope. this has been so wonderful and i'm really excited for everyone to hear all this and if, if people want to get in touch with you you know for questions to connect more like uh, what's what's the best way to get in touch so best way to get in touch is i'm on uh, instagram um it's um, let's talk trash let's underscore talk underscore trash that's my handle <laughs> and uh, again on uh, linkedin by the name of manik Kapur. so i'm there um so these are the two platforms that you could um, anybody who would like to get in touch with me could get in touch with me amazing and for our listeners i'll make sure that we put those all in the show notes so you get in touch with manik to ask all of your waste management questions and talk trash Monik, thank you again so much for your time. Um, this has been super, super informative. Um, and I feel like I might loop back to you in the future as things progress here in India because I feel like you're a great, a great leader for us to learn from. So thank you again for your time. Thank you, Jasmine. And thank you for giving me this platform to speak on. Absolutely. Anytime. You ever want to talk trash, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lovely, lovely. Ha, huh, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends! <laughs>